0: The Gospel of Mark was written to answer one question. I think, bang, there it is. Who is Jesus? Jesus, in the very middle of this biography of him, turns to his followers, turns to the people who've been following him page after page. In a sense, he turns to us, and he asks simply, but who do you say that I am? That's the question Jesus asks each of us tonight. If you've been with us for any period of time, if you've ever been in a church, if you've ever opened a Bible, you've read the stories, you've heard about the miracles, you've listened to Jesus' teaching, you've followed him around and in through his gospel. So who do you think he is? Our text is an epiphany. It's a revelation of who Jesus is. It's an unveiling before our eyes of God Himself. In Mark 9, we are given a front row seat to maybe the most unbelievable event in all of history. And it helps us answer the question who is Jesus? Let's look at the text together. Mark 9, page 844. We read in verse 2 that Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go up a high mountain where they're all alone. In the ancient world, mountains are where people encounter the divine. If you think about it, in basically any civilization, any religion, people believed the summits of mountains are where heaven and earth met. And so places where there weren't mountains, they built mountains, and they made them their temples. So Jesus leads his closest disciples up a high mountain, up into the heavens, as it were. And up there, where heaven meets earth, Jesus' appearance changes. Jesus changes. He is transfigured. That word literally is metamorphed. Jesus is transformed. Up to this point, Jesus would have looked like anybody else. Ordinary, unremarkable, a normal-looking person of his ethnicity and geography. But now atop a mountain where heaven meets earth, Jesus leads us into sacred space and he gives us this privileged seat to gaze at him as he is unveiled before us we see here the epiphany of jesus we're shown who jesus is in mark nine through four c's we're shown jesus clothes we're told about jesus company there's something about a cloud And then we're given a command. Four C's, which together give us the epiphany. They reveal to us who Jesus is. So first C, Jesus' clothes. Look on your page at verse 3. We're told as Jesus is transfigured, his clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Jesus' clothes change from ordinary, dusty, common fabrics to supernaturally white, spotless, pure, dazzling. Light emanates from him and his clothes. What a strange detail. Why does this matter? Who cares about Jesus' wardrobe? In the Hebrew Bible, Jesus' Bible, our Old Testament, Dazzling white clothing is attributed to only one person. In Psalm 104, verse 2, it's page 502, if you don't believe me, we're told that God wraps himself in light. Or listen to Daniel 7, verse 9. Daniel has a vision, and he writes, As I looked, all these thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. And now listen. God's clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white, like wool. See, up to this point, there's only one person in Scripture who has clothes white like the sun, whiter than any human experience or comprehension. The only person whose glory dazzles and blinds and outshines light itself is God. God wraps himself in light. Nobody else does. Only God wears clothing that is whiter than snow. But in Mark 9, it's Jesus' clothes that are now radiant, intensely, impossibly, supernaturally white. We're shown here that it's not just on mountains that people meet God. We meet God when we come to Jesus of Nazareth. He is where heaven and earth collide because he is both fully God and fully man. There's the epiphany. And we get it first from Jesus' clothes. Jesus is God. St. Paul writes to one of the first churches in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. That's the point of his bright clothes. In Mark 9, Jesus is transformed before us and he takes his true unveiled form. And as we gaze at him, we are stunned to see that he is God. Not only is Jesus the Christ, the King, the promised Messiah, but he is God himself. Fully man, fully God. That's all from his clothes. The second C. I want you to notice the company that joins the transfigured Jesus. In verse four it says, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. When Jesus' true form is revealed, he's joined by Moses and by Elijah. Why? (laughs) That's so weird, isn't it? These guys are long dead. What are they doing here? And why these two? You know, if he could have conjured up anyone from the Old Testament, why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham? Or Adam and Eve? Why not King David? Or King Nebuchadnezzar for that case? Moses famously was the leader of Israel when God powerfully saved them from Egypt and led them to the Promised Land. God saved Israel and he used Moses to give his people his law. So you could say Moses represents the law. Elijah was God's most faithful prophet. He was the great prophet. So you could say Elijah represents the prophets. So you have the law and you have the prophets, represented by Moses and Elijah, who are now alive, resurrected, in conversation, in communion with Jesus. Moses and Elijah conversing with Jesus shows us the the entire law and the entire prophets. The whole Old Testament is testifying and pointing to and witnessing to and talking with and talking about Jesus Christ. On the famous Emmaus Road, after Jesus has risen from the dead, spoiler alert, he leads a Bible study with two really discouraged disciples. And we're told in Luke 24 that beginning with Moses And the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, all point to and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are all in conversation with Jesus Christ. This means the main subject of our Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The trajectory of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ in his kingdom. He is the epiphany that all of scripture is now pointing to him. But there's another important reason these two men are here. Moses and Elijah both in their lives stood before God. And they experienced God's presence. It was on a mountain, remember, that Moses encountered God. And so too Elijah met with God and now they stand on a mountain again before God again alive resurrected standing and communing with Jesus Christ so Jesus company Moses and Elijah further reveals to us who he is he's the fulfillment of all of scripture he is God himself come to save and secure his kingdom on earth in him even death is undone third sea the cloud tiny little detail look at verse seven and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud think in your sunday school bible stories where a cloud has come up before in scripture the cloud represents god's presence on earth do you remember in the exodus where God's people are led out of Egypt? Well, they're led by a cloud. God's presence that goes before the Israelites as they're delivered from Egypt and led to the Promised Land. Or how the cloud, God's presence, enters the temple when Solomon completes it. Or Elijah, remember, he experiences a cloud, God's presence, when he's hiding up in the mountain, wishing he were dead. The cloud symbolizes God's presence, on earth. In Mark 9, verse 7, we're told that a cloud overshadowed them. Now, them here is referring to Jesus' disciples, to Peter, James, and John, who in the story are terrified and have no idea how to respond to what's happening. But notice the location of the cloud relative to Jesus' followers. We're told in verse 7 that the cloud covers them. It overshadows them, it immerses them, it surrounds them completely. The disciples, upon seeing Jesus as he truly is, are now brought into the very presence of God. The cloud overshadows them. In all the other stories of the Bible, God's people are never within the cloud. They see the cloud, but they aren't invited into it. They can see God's presence but they aren't invited into his presence. A human being has never been ushered into the presence of God. Except here, where the cloud overshadows them. God's presence overwhelms them, surrounds them, saturates them. They don't just hear God. They don't just see God. They are swept up to be within God's presence. So too for us. If you follow Jesus, you don't just see God. You don't just learn about God. As you follow Jesus Christ, you are swept up into the very presence of God. We live our lives within God's presence. As Christians, we believe that God the Holy Spirit has made his home within us as we believe in Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, God lives in you. This is more than seeing. This is more than hearing. It is housing God and living in him and through him. Okay, we've got through three C's. The clothes, the company, the cloud. Final C that reveals who Jesus is, is the command Look at verse 7. The cloud overshadows them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Do you remember when Moses went up the mountain to be with God, he was given a law? He's given the Ten Commandments? Well, now, with Moses present, as Jesus is transformed into his glorious state, God gives us a new law from a new mountain. This is a new commandment. This is a new testament. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. God the Father here confesses that Jesus is divine. He says he's God the Son. And God here declares that the words of Jesus are the new law, by which all people are called to live see the transfiguration is so much more than just jesus giving us a glimpse a trailer of his future glory this scene is the new sinai it's the giving of a new law it's the start of a new exodus for the new people of god toward the eternal promised land It's the absolute revelation to all of humanity that Jesus is God. It is the paramount epiphany of Jesus Christ. God speaks and he tells us who Jesus is. And you may remember way back in Mark 1 that God has spoken already. This is actually the second time God speaks in the Gospel of Mark. So if your Bibles are still open, flip back a couple pages to the very beginning of Mark, page 836. In Mark 1, verse 11, Jesus is baptized. Do you remember that? Remember when Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens are ripped open, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, and then God's voice comes from heaven. Do you remember what God says? You are my son, whom I love. In you, I am overjoyed." So God the Father speaks twice in Mark's Gospel. He speaks at Jesus' baptism, which is when Jesus identifies fully with humanity, and he speaks again at the Transfiguration, when Jesus identifies fully with God's divinity. And the Father says nearly the exact same thing at these two events. At Jesus' baptism, he talks to Jesus and he says, you are my beloved son. But now at the transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved son. What's different? The baptism, who's God talking to? He's talking to Jesus. This is, or you, are my son. The transfiguration, he's not talking to Jesus. He's talking to Jesus' followers. This is my son. God is speaking to us in Mark 9, not to Jesus. And God, the creator of everything, decides to enter history and speak audibly and have it recorded in a way we can understand so that we would know one thing. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. Here's the epiphany. Jesus is God's son. And here's the command. Listen to him. The teachings of Jesus should be for us our law, our rule of life, our signposts for how we ought to live. They should be constantly on our lips and in our minds. We should know them like the backs of our hands. Because the words of Jesus will lead us to his kingdom. The words of Jesus will lead us to his cross. To the place where our sin is taken away. And where Jesus will give his life as a ransom for many. So the words of Jesus will lead us to his death. But not just to it, but through it. To eternal life. This is God's son. His words give eternal life. So listen to him. That's the command for all of us. Listen to him. When we're pressured at work to do something unethical, it should be the voice of Jesus that we are listening to to know how we ought to respond. When our friends want us to do things that we know is wrong, it should be the words of our teacher Jesus which form the law for how we ought to live. When we're discerning a major decision, we're trying to figure out our identity. Our compass and our counsel ought to be Jesus' teaching. When we as a church are planning our future or planning to plant a new church, we shouldn't be looking to our financials or the politics or the logistics, but to the words of Jesus Christ This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Are you listening? Are you listening in your life to the voice of Jesus? Do you read his word? Do you study it? Do you think about it? What do you do when you read a text and you think I have no idea what that means? Do you talk about it? Did Jesus' words ever come up in your life? In your free time? the bus at home with family or friends when you finally got your kids to bed and the dishes are done are you making space to listen to jesus many christians myself included complain that we don't know how we're supposed to live and we feel like we're on our own and as if god is silent when we need him to tell us what to do well let me ask you are you listening now some of you have never been followers of jesus And for you, this text offers an epiphany, and it gives you, too, a command. Jesus is God's son. So listen to him. Hear his gospel. Hear what he has to say about the sin that infects every human heart, including mine and yours. Listen to how he's come to forgive that sin and to put it away. Hear about the gift of his Holy Spirit sent to transform and transfigure you to become a new creation remade in Christ's image. See, we listen to Jesus by reading his word, by hearing how the law and the prophets are fulfilled in him and hearing from him how we ought to live. We listen to Jesus by learning from one another, by joining a community group, or when we're wrestling with a difficult issue, surrounding ourselves with others who are listening to Jesus' voice too for guidance. What would it look like in your life to give space to be silent and to listen as Jesus teaches you the words of life? And if you have absolutely no idea where to even start, I want to give you two concrete suggestions. First, there's a free app that's called Bible in One Year. Super creative title, and you guessed it, it leads you through the entire Bible in one year. Every day you can have readings emailed to you, or they have an app, or you can even download an audio version so you can listen to it while you're heading to work or whatever. You can hear a brief devotional explaining each of the passages by an Anglican pastor. It's a brilliant tool. To help you listen to Jesus, I highly recommend it. I started it this morning, (laughs) practicing what I preach. The second suggestion to make space to listen to Jesus is these common prayer booklets that we've made in-house. They're at the back on the table. These books give you a structure to begin and end your day with, short prayers. And they also give a Bible reading guide to help you go through Scripture. And if you're super keen or you want to be with other people doing this, Every weekday, can you believe this? Every weekday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. On Zoom, there's a group at our church that prays through this booklet, reads the passages together, and hears a a short devotional on those readings. The Zoom link's on our website under the Events tab, and you select Daily Offices. So there, two concrete examples how you can be listening to Jesus this year. Bible in a Year, the St. John's Common Prayer Booklet. In Mark 9, we see that Jesus is God's son. His glory is revealed to us. And as we draw close to him, we are swept up into God's presence. And we're invited to become Jesus' students. That's who Jesus is. So let's listen to him. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to see you as Peter, James, and John saw you, to hear you as your disciples heard you, and to follow you as your apostles followed you. We pray this in your name. Amen.